Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. The pursuit of the God is a deliberate, visible, and aggressive activity. The pursuit of the God is a deliberate, it's visible, and it's an aggressive activity activity right it's conscious in other words deliberate it's not it's not nothing in god is perchance you decide where you want to go you don't land in at a new place in god perchance right you don't land there arbitrarily you don't just arrive at a new place you decide i'm going somewhere and i will arrive at a new place in god so it's deliberate everyone say deliberate right um he said it's also visible when I read that, it means to the observer. The observer can know that the one pursuing God is pursuing God. Right? It's obvious to your, your peers that you're on a mission after God. David said this, um, O oh God, Psalm 63, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I rise to seek you. He said, my heart and my flesh longs and faints even for the courts of the Lord. For David, his quest for God was indicated by early morning rising and praying and crying after God. And I want to encourage you to, to do the same. Prayer is coming back to the house of the Lord in a, in a, in a, in a way that is really going to separate um, those who function almost clinically and those who function prayerfully. I want to encourage you to never lose your prayer power. Never lose your sense of intimacy with your Father. Pray and pray daily and pray, and pray regularly. Then he said it's also aggressive. In other words, you, your pursuit after God must not be sporadic or fleeting. It mustn't even be nonchalant. The expressions of finding God, right? David said, uh, 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 God said, you will find me when you search me. How? With all your heart, right? And I want to encourage you, put all your heart and soul in after knowing God. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. I shan't be long. I want to finish this series on the open door because we attempted to finish it last week, but the Lord, the Lord had hijacked the service and had his way. Amen. Um, a few thoughts I want to leave with you. Um, Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 to 13. I want to isolate one specific disposition. One specific characteristic that, the, that God looks for before he opens a door for you. We've been talking about open doors, not so? Let's just read this again. And to the angel at the church at Philadelphia write. Remember what is Philadelphia or what does Philadelphia mean? Brotherly love. So all the promises that we're going to read about come to a church that excels in, in brotherly love. And I want to encourage you to really excel in your love one for the other. And love is very practical. The Bible says, brothers, let us not love only in word, but also in, in deed. And by this you know, John would say, that you have passed from death unto life because you love the brothers. 
Loving the brothers is your greatest validation that you are saved. Say it again. Love is your greatest validation and proof that you are saved. John said, by this we know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brothers. By loving the brothers, you demonstrate the nature of your father, but you, de- you therefore demonstrate that you truly have a new nature. Because ordinarily, left to yourself, left to your unrenewed state, you would not naturally love. So to love indicates the nature of God is present. And the love of God, it's, it says, Romans 5, 8, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that has been given unto, unto us. John is so serious about this. He says, he who does not love has not God. So if you fail to love, your claim for salvation has just been invalidated. By this we know that we love. By this we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brothers. Love, Sam said in the school, you must read the notes that I shared with you. He said some powerful things about love. He said love is the is the greatest indicator of divinity, not power. If I lay my hands on someone and even raise him from the dead, and I demonstrate to you kingdom power, that's not the greatest exhibition of divinity. The greatest exhibition of God is when a man can lay his life down in love for another. Love is the greatest indication of divinity. In fact, he said this, power then exists to demonstrate love. God is not impressed, he said, by his own expressions of his power. God is impressed by his own expressions of his nature as love. Right? Do you know the Bible says you can even lay your life, you can give your body to be burned, but if you have not love, you are luto. Nothing, he says. Right? He says, um, I can give gifts, but if I have not love, I am Nothing. He said, I can know all mysteries. I can be full with revelation, impartation. There's nothing in no text of scripture that you cannot tell me because it's revelation. I'm flowing with knowledge. But Paul says, you can have that. But if you have not love, I reduce you to something called nothing. So everything, something has got to be filled with love. If you can excel and master love, you've mastered divinity. I want to say that again. If you can master love, you've mastered the nature of God. And God will always support the expressions of his nature on the earth. If you can demonstrate love, even to the most unlovable saint. And guess where you'll be tested in these things? With your brothers. Two things you must excel in. That you'll prove that you are the you we are son. I taught you this. I'm just rehearsing. Two areas of love. It's when you love your brother, especially the one that despises you. And secondly, when you can love an enemy. You have no right to hate an enemy. Matthew 5 says, therefore love even your enemies. And he says this, for by this you will show yourselves to be the sons of God. How do you show yourself to be the sons of God? By loving your greatest enemy. I want to encourage you, put the nature and the love of God on display before men. He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and it says who shuts and no one 
opens, says this. Now notice how the Lord comes to Philadelphia. I want to remind you, what is Philadelphia? Brotherly love. So whenever there's brotherly love, how does God come? God comes with keys. He says, to those that love each other, I come with keys. How I come to you, because to every one of the seven churches, he comes in a different way. Doesn't come the same to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Smyrna, Laodicea, etc., Sardis. But to Philadelphia, he comes with keys. Tell your neighbor God, he's coming to you with keys. And I don't know about you, but I'm expecting some open doors. Because the Lord is saying to me, not just only lift up your head, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, right? and let the King of glory come in. God is adding to this prophecy now and saying, I'm coming to you with keys. I'm coming to you, and I'm going to open some doors and some opportunities for you that were previously blocked off and closed to you. Amen? God will open. God's a door opener. Who needs a door opener? He's got some keys and he opens doors. But he also closes doors. Please don't have the one without the other. Right? And when God closes doors, don't be disappointed. Because God knows what's best for you. Subject yourself. Say, Lord, I bow to the sovereignty of God. If, you know, no is also an answer to prayer. Not just only yes. People think no is not an answer. Oh, God said no, he never answered. No, he answered. He actually said no. <laughs> the fact that God answers with the negative, you should be blessed that he's even answering. Right? So never be discouraged that he who shuts the door and no human agency or spiritual agency can open that which God shuts. But he both, he both opens and he shuts the door. Right? I really want to encourage you, brethren. 2015 is going to be the year of the open door for this house. It's going to be the year of the lifted up head. What I sense prophetically is that we've laid the foundation of lift up your heads. Now we, we're just concluding this thing about open doors. There's only one month left essentially in this year, not counting December. I don't count December because December for many people. Please don't, don't subject yourself this year to this kind of thing. With the festive season and the commercialization of Christmas spirituality takes second seat. It goes, plummets down for the majority of Christians. I always use December as my step up. I consciously do it, my step up. I write and study more in the month of December than I do in any other month. Why? There's much more time in my hands, etc. Right? Um, so don't, don't wane, but increase in your spiritual uh, commitment. 2015 will be the year of the open door and the year of the lifted up head for us. And we're going to see the fruit of this word start to manifest in your, in your life. So I want to say to you prophetically, the impasses you've experienced now in this year are history. The impasses and the cul-de-sacs, you've come to a dead end. That will be no longer from this point onwards. If you position yourself correctly, your 2015 can start next week, can start tomorrow. God does not define New Year's based on Babylonian calendars. Your, your tomorrow, Joshua said to, to Israel, up, sanctify the people, for tomorrow I will do great works among them. Your tomorrow is not necessarily 24 hours later. Your tomorrow is 
at the moment the preconditions are set, the tomorrow begins. Right? And if you listen to everything I've taught you, and you install those things, and you put those things in, in place, you can, um, you can activate um, things predetermined by God for a future time of manifestation. You can bring them into your now. Right? And I've taught you these principles. And so God both opens and closes doors. And then he says this, behold, verse 8. Now, listen, what is, besides brotherly love, what is God looking for to open doors for people? He says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. No one can shut. Because you have what? You've had little power, but you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Here's a prophetic word to the house. God's going to open doors for those that kept his word and those that have not denied his name. He says you've had little power. In other words, you have limited resources. With, with the little that you've had, you're still obedient. And you kept, you've never departed from the name of the Lord. And then thirdly, I'm going to put these three things together. Besides brotherly love, think about this. I've kept the word, I've not denied the name. And verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, or my, some Bible said the word of my patience, you've kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you in the hour of testing. That the hour which is about to come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Tell your neighbor this is going to happen quickly. He says, I am coming quickly. And this is not the second coming. This this again, context is a reference to the speed with which he responds to the preparation that this church has done. Right? The preparation is brotherly love. Keep my word despite of your little resources. Right? You've not denied my name. And you've kept the word of my patience. I'll unpack this shortly for you. He says, I'm coming quickly. He says, hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. What does the crown speak of? Rulership. And in the next verse he says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Amen. A pillar in the temple of my God. I just want to speak to these three things. Repeat after me. Keep his word. Don't deny his name. Keep the word of his perseverance. Now the word perseverance... Let me just quickly, you know when it says you have not denied my name, that is, doesn't the name, yeah, although there is no name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, and that by the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is not the reference here. The name here in this context means nature. You have not departed because name is depicted of essence. It's not a descriptive noun to identify a person. So the name of God is the nature of God. Right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, not just in the, in the name of Jesus. You can say that we gathered in the name of Jesus, but if the gathering is not depictive of his nature, his presence will not be there. It's more than just verbal, it's actual. Tell your neighbor it's nature. So he's saying this open door will come to those that have not denied my nature. 
You've not departed from expressing all that I am. In the book of John, it says, whoever denies the Son has no part in him. To deny the Son doesn't mean this. If somebody asks you, are you saved? And you say, no, I'm not saved. That doesn't mean, that. that's not equating to denying the Son. To deny the Son means this. The Son has got this reputation, this nature. To deny the Son means you regard that, but you stand away from it and you don't participate in it. That is what it means biblically to deny His name. It doesn't mean that you put on trial and someone asks you like they asked Peter, aren't you one of His? Don't you know Him? And Peter denied the Lord. Remember three times? That doesn't mean that. It means you've not participated fully in His nature. Right? And we've done extensive teaching on firstborn sonship reality. I want to encourage you. So how do you deny His name? If in any circumstance, listen, here's the thing. If in any circumstance, your attitude and your words do not portray the nature of the Son of God, you've just denied Him. Many of us, you've seen the videos of ISIS on Facebook. And the, the one guy, they, they, they forced him to deny that Jesus is not the Son of God and that Muhammad is. And the moment he did that, they, behaved, they cut off his head. Right? Now you might say, right, he failed to acknowledge Christ. Yes, he did. But let me say this, that is, that is actual. But many of us are doing it subtly. You'll never say, Jesus is not my master. You will never say, I don't know him. You'll never say that with your words. But you are saying that very loudly through your actions. That is denying who he is. Right? It's not verbal, it's behavioral. It's not verbal, it's mental. Right? It's mental. So if, for example, you gossip about someone, guess what? You've just denied him. It's as, you are as guilty as if you were put on national television and the reporter asked Randolph, do you know Jesus? And I say, I don't know him. I deny him. I'm just as guilty if, um, in a recent case, I was called into arbitrate. I was asked for my view on the brother. And how I responded depicted that I'd never denied his name. If I gossiped and relished, in, 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 in something unsavory. I've denied his name. If I don't forgive my brother who has sinned, I've denied his name. Right? If I don't love the brothers, I've denied his name. Tell you never, don't deny his name. I'm going to say it again. You know, you can commit adultery actually. By sleeping with someone that's not your spouse. But Jesus said this. If you, if you look upon a woman and you lust after her in your heart. Jesus said, you've already committed the, the act in your heart. And you are just as guilty as if you've physically done the deed. Right? This is grace. This is grace. This is the Sermon on the Mount. The verse I've just quoted is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you hear statements like, you have heard that it was written, but I say to you. That's like a, 
a methodology that Jesus employs in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So he talks about the law. He says, you have heard that it, it was written, right? That if a man strikes you on the one cheek, right? You shall return it, return the favor. <laughs> but I say unto you, but I say, okay, Moses said that, but I say, if he strikes you, give him the other cheek as well. In the matter of adultery, he said, you have heard that it, Moses said that uh, adultery is physical. But I say unto you, if you conceptualize it in the mind and you fantasize about it in your thought life, if push comes to shove and both men stand before God in judgment, both are judged exactly the same. So guess what? In grace, the requirement, the bar is raised. You would have been lucky to have lived under Moses because then you would have only been judged if you were physically caught in the act. But under Jesus' grace, you, you are just, you are more guilty if you've entertained the thoughts. You had not actually done the deed. Similarly, I am saying, you don't have to physically deny him and say, I don't know him. Your behavior and your thought life is going to hold you far more accountable in the dispensation of grace as to whether you've denied him or not. So if somebody comes to your house to gossip about a brother, you will be tested in these things. I've listed, I'm starting a new document, hindrances to prosperity. Because I see how some people's prosperity is being hindered left, right, and center. And I've come up with about 15 items. One of the items is is inaccurate speaking. And some of you are not listening to me because you're still doing it and you're expecting a different result when you've heard the word of the Lord. So if, for example, you despise, you talk um, disparagingly or without grace, there's no kindness in your words. Even about a legitimate case where someone has failed or someone has fallen. That person messed up. Yeah, listen to me carefully. That person messed up, not you. The condition is extraneous to you. You're standing outside of it, but you reference it in your discussion. Heaven closes over you. You didn't do the deed. You expressed an opinion about what somebody else did. And heaven judges you for an inaccurate perception of something grave. You don't have to legit, you don't have to actually do something bad for the heavens to be as brass over you. You can open the heavens. Let me talk, you talk about open doors. You better make sure you're living under an open heaven. And don't have any attitude or, or, or expression of speech that you know is, you know this is pushing us back as a family. Yet we are still entertaining it after several times Randolph has repetitively warned us to persist in it. Sam said this at the school. I'm trying to think of how he framed it. I jokingly said to Sam at the school in the tea break, I said, I don't know what, I quoted something he said at the previous session. And I said to him, that's a Samism. He said, what? I said, that's a Samism. He said, what's that? As a statement you need to send. <laughs> you know, you get like colloquialisms, all these parts of English speech. So I've coined my own Samism. 
He said this, if you, if you entertain in your personhood an attitude or behavior that gives the enemy leverage over you, you have no right to claim breakthrough. Say it again. If you entertain and accommodate within your personhood an attitude or behavior that gives the enemy legitimate leverage over you, you have no right to trust God or claim for your breakthrough. Why? You're praying one thing, but by your attitude and behavior, you're giving the enemy sufficient ammunition to keep you in bondage. Therefore, you cannot legitimately claim to trust God for your breakthrough. Now, tell your neighbor, you are personally responsible for your own breakthrough. It's actually hypocritical to say, God, breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. We're trusting you for X, Y, Z. Please, God, come through, come through, come through, come through. And then, in the next sentence, you are feeding an attitude or a, 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 an expression of speech or an actual behavior that is actually fueling the enemy's plans to keep you in bondage. doesn't work. Right? You're responsible for your own breakthrough. So tell you never, don't deny his name. Don't deny his name. You see, denying his name is not so innocent. It's not just saying, it uh, doesn't mean I don't know Jesus. It's how you think. And that has far more serious consequences than physically saying I don't know him. Hmm? Then it says, this is what I want to focus on. Let, let me encourage you. Some of you have been very diligent in this house. Like, like the word says here, you have little power, but you've kept my word. You didn't keep my word when you had much. You had little, but you are faithful to keep my word. To those, I would say, be expectant. God's about to bless you in a very, very, very significant way. Amen? God's about to bless you in a very, very significant way. The more you live unto others, the more God will bless you. The more you live unto yourself, the more you defer breakthrough. The more you actually cancel it and defer it. And I want to encourage you, live, like I shared, you to, shared this with you last week, grace is not grace if that grace does not know how to inconvenience itself to convenience others. Grace is not grace if that grace does not know how to impoverish itself to enrich others. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become, might become, might become rich. And we're going to see in this season, those that make sacrificial um, sacrifices, where it costs you what you're doing without your knowledge, you are putting principles in place in your life, a divine setup for major breakthrough. God will take care of you at every single level. Amen? Um, and you know, I found, I'm finding out my grace content is growing when I live like this. Because God sees it. God says... I'm going to put, okay, there's only one of you on the earth, Randall. There's only one of you. And there's only a few with your disposition and your drive and your commitment. And I can see you want to do more. I wish I had ten more like you, put you all in one place. And God says, in, I'm just paraphrasing, God says, well, based upon your present level of faithfulness, I will expand your grace content. And you know the principle of grace? In my flesh, 
I can do X. But in my flesh with grace, I can do X plus, 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 plus. Grace comes to rest in human form. It comes to rest in human form. Allowing the human to do far more than what the human is capable of. That's grace. You can either live by the limitations of your flesh. Or you can access the possibilities that grace gives you. How do you want to live? As a normal man? Or do you want to live as a man full of grace? Test what I'm saying, brethren. If your grace content grows, I guarantee you, you'll be doing far more. And in fact, this is the thing. Once grace grows, you will make, let's say, you'll, you'll, you'll make a decision or an action, especially to help someone. And it costs you greatly, either in time, it costs you in resource, it costs you financially, it'll cost you emotionally, it'll cost you in terms of the skill that you have that that person needs, it'll cost. Everyone say costs. So grace always costs. But you know what? When your grace grows, that thing that you in your mind costed you before, you now do it. And the, the element of sacrifice doesn't even feature in the equation. Then you know I've truly elevated in grace. Hmm? Grace doesn't count the cost. Grace simply acts. Amen? So you've not, you've, you've not kept my... Uh, you've kept... What did I say? You've kept my word, right? You have little faith, but you have kept my, my word. Then he says this. I want to focus on. Time is gone already. He says, you've kept the word of my patience. And yeah, I really want to stress. I'll, I'll just take another 10 minutes. Listen carefully. You've kept the word of my perseverance or my patience. The Greek word for perseverance or patience here is hupo mone. Hupo mone. Hupo means under, as you know. Right? To stay up under. So, we know perseverance. Are you a persevering person? <laughs> he who perseveres stays the course, not so? He who perseveres against all attempts to discourage him, he stays the course. He who perseveres, like Sean said this morning, was one, presses in. He wor- it, all the factors that militated against this woman pressing in to touch the hem of Jesus' garments, she bypassed literally every single hindrance. And there were many hindrances. There was like a gender hindrance, a female touching a man in public. There was a, a, a cultural hindrance, a theological hindrance. There was physical impediments. There was, there was crowds all along. There was a physical infirmity. She could not, she had to crawl on the floor and get to the bottom of the hymn. She bypassed every single... And I want, you know, people give up so easily. We, are, give, we give up too quickly. Too quickly. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Stay the course. One thing God honors is perseverance. It is them that endure to the end that shall be saved. Hmm? I want to encourage you, don't give up. The Bible says... We must follow those examples of faith in Hebrews 11. It says, who by patience and endurance received promises. We are, too, we, are, we, we are too resigning. I summer resign. We are too retreating. We move back too quickly when the pressure is on. Stay the course. I prayed this prayer last night because I knew I'm preaching all of these things. Now the Lord is subjecting me to my own test. So Lord, I will do it. I will stay the course. 
in my flesh, I don't feel I can bear it, but by your grace, I'm more than able. Amen? I want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, persevere. And you know the word persevere, hupomono, means steadfast. It means constancy. Have you ever met a constant person? Eh? My auntie was named Constance. I love her. Auntie Constance. <laughs> Everyone say constancy. Hmm? Say steadfast. Now there's a person that's so fixed, they're the same. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like the Lord. Hmm? And listen carefully. We taught this, we learned this at the school. This, this verse in Hebrews 12, it says, Jesus is the same. When? Yesterday and and what what should have written in the third part? It should have been tomorrow. But it says yesterday, today, and not tomorrow. It's yesterday and today for forever. Sam said this. He is the same yesterday in the past, today in the present against the backdrop of eternity forever principle. So, I can say sameness. Isn't he the same? So, why aren't you the same? (laughs) You want to be like him? Julius wants to be like Zuma. I want to be like him. But do you want to be like him? Is that your passion to be like God? Are you the same? Can you be constant? Can you be steadfast? Can we rely on you? Can your family rely on you to be the same? Okay. I don't wake up to these boys with with moods every day. Amen. 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 Double amen. (laughs) You better say it otherwise. (laughs) But that's true. I'm just joking with you. As a parent, I don't wake up. They, They know the sameness of their father 365 days a year. What am I? I'm demonstrating to them how their heavenly father is like. Right? As a parent, you can't afford mood swings. Did you know that? You know, some of my parents, and some of your parents will tell you the stories. Here's my mother-in-law here. I know some of the stories. Some of the older generation experience such hardship in raising their kids. But their kids don't have a clue about it. Right? They made sacrifices. All the kids knew you go to school, you come back, there's food. We'll have a, we'll have a hot meal. How would God there? Only God knows. But the parents exhibited this provision, this, this sameness. I want to encourage you. The Bible says, even when we are faithless, He remains. Tell your neighbor, He remains. Say it again, He remains. For emphasis, He remains. You must remain faithful. There's a sameness about you. Hmm? I met an old learner I taught in 19... Uh, get my facts right. In 1990, my first year of teaching. I started teaching in 1990. How many years ago was that? Okay, trust your maths. <laughs> and the person, well, I say Mr. B, they call him Mr. B, Mr. Barnwell. Well, Mr. B, the person says, Wow. And they, they said, you're still the same. So I, was, I jokingly said, said, I said, I'm like the Lord, I change not. <laughs> you know, I said, I'm like the Lord, I change not. And I said, except from glory to glory, being transformed from. 
They said, no, 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 it's, yeah, you look the same. You actually look the same like you did when you were in the classroom, right? But they said, more than that, you, you're the same kind of person. You're the same person that we knew then is the same what we see now. I want to encourage you, don't change and alter with environments. But you know, here's the deal. The word hupomano, apart from being constant and steadfast, it means this. Listen carefully. It means one who is not swerved. This is from uh, uh, Spiros Zodiac's Greek scholar. He said, one who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and loyalty to God, even by the greatest of trials and sufferings. One who is not swerved by his deliberate commitment or loyalty to purpose, even by the greatest of, of trials. Now, I want to encourage you with these, with these verses. Okay, time is really gone. I have tons of verses here. Stuff we know, but we need to be, re, we need to be reminded of. Okay, th- there's too much to mention. Listen carefully. What did you, you Philadelphians, I have an open door. I have the key for you. I know your deeds, Philadelphians. You have not denied my name. You have little power, but you've kept my word. And thirdly, you've kept the what of my patience. You've kept the word of my perseverance. In the midst of your trial, you held on to the word. When it felt like everything, your whole world was imploding and coming to an end. But you've kept the word of my patience. I want to remind you of these verses that you probably know. Listen carefully. I'm trying to find it. Yes, he has it. Listen carefully. Job 6 verse 10. It is my consolation. And I rejoice in unsparing pain. That I have not denied the words of the Holy One. It is my consolation. What is your comfort? What is this Job rejoicing in? Job, what is your comfort? If you ask and you interview him, Job, why are you boasting? Job, what sense of comfort and well-being do you have? He says, this is my consolation. He says, he talks about unsparing pain. Who's been there? The pain was unsparing. But he says, what do I do in unsparing pain? I rejoice. What is the reason for my rejoicing in pain designed to kill me? He says, I rejoice. This is my comfort, my consolation in unsparing pain. I rejoice in this. Let me quote it correctly. He says, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. So my suffering tried to wipe me out, but in it all, my comfort was I held on to my promise. I held on to the word and I've not denied the word while going through my suffering. Let me say, if that is you, God says, I'm about to open a door for you. But if you haven't learned the lesson, that kind of lesson, I will subject you to repetitive experiences until you come forth as mature. Listen to how this is framed in other versions of the Bible. The contemporary English version says, I would be comforted knowing that in all of my pain, I never disobeyed God. In all of my pain, I never disobeyed God. The ERV says, 
then I would be comforted by this one thing. Even through all of this pain, I never refused to obey the commands of the Holy One. The, the New International Revised Version says, Then I'd still have one thing to comfort me. He says, I have one thing in my a tick next to my hand. One thing really settles me, God, when I look at you. He says, It would be that I haven't said no to not one of the Holy One's commands. That, I would, that would give me joy in spite of the pain that never seems to end. What did David said? It was good for me to be, have been afflicted that I might learn your commandments, O oh God. And in Psalm 119 verse 92, he said, If your law was not my delight, then I would have perished in my uh, affliction. If your law was not my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Psalm 105 verse 19. Listen carefully. The, Lord's, the Bible says about Job, Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Let me just say this. God's word will always test you. When you have the time to read the, the apostolic school notes that I emailed to you, and you read especially Sam's sessions, Sam's sessions, you cannot read in one read. I've read the manual now. I've listened to him preach. I transcribed the notes. We came back, and in two weeks, edited, went through the material. I factored it into my mind, stored principles into me. You will see this refrain over and over that Dr. Sam stressed. He said, it's the cry of the orphan and the immature. Every time they are tested to say, why me? Why me? I'm suffering, and your cry constantly to God is, why me? But it's the response of the mature that when they are subjected to tests, the mature would say, what would you have me learn? What would you have me learn from this experience? And he said something that only Sam can say it. He says the extent of God's attempts to persuade you will be determined by the quickness of your learning. In other words, simply put, if you don't learn it through this trial, do not think God has forgotten that you've disobeyed in this trial. Because God in His wisdom will revisit the trial in some other form until you've learned the lesson. If you were wise, Sam said, you would simply quickly learn the lesson with the first trial. So you cover that. And so the next trial, you go from glory to glory with every trial experience. And you come out more mature than you've ever have been before. And I want to read, there's five minutes left. I want to read Deuteronomy 8, just the first few verses. Turn in your Bibles. And I want to show you how this works itself out in the life of Israel and how you can apply it to your, to your own life. Hmm? To your own life. All the commandments, verse 1. Just the first few verses. I want you to read with understanding. Are you ready? Ask your neighbor, are you ready? Right? Before, okay, let's just read. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, 
you shall be careful to do that you might live and multiply, go in and possess the land which the Lord God swore to give your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you and do what? Testing you to know what? So, question, why does God test you? To know what's in your heart. Does he? Isn't he God? Doesn't he know what's there already? Yes. He really wants you to know what is there. David said, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and teach me in the way ever lasting. Do you know, for example, God will bless your enemy with a brand new Lexus when you've got a score score. Just so that when the blessing comes, your reaction tells you what's in your heart. God has a way of working with the sun. He puts you in circumstances to expose your heart. He has a deal. He will even make your brother fall into sin to uncover to you what's in your heart about that issue. You, God will, subju- he will take Israel and listen, God has got time. You don't have time. God said to Israel, 40 years I took with you. I, I humbled you. I subjected you to tests simply to prove what is in you. And here's the, the point that God is going to listen carefully. The point God is going to is this. God says, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandments or not. Do not disobey God at your weakest point. Your weakest point is when you are in the vortex of your child. At those points, you are most vulnerable to say, someone watch this porn program now. Or I will not forgive. Those points where you are most vulnerable is when you're at your weakest. At those points, say to yourself like Job, this has been my consolation. That in the midst of my trial, I never disobeyed your word. Why? Because the trial, the trial is simply an opportunity for you to, for God to show you what's in your heart so you can adjust and grow to the next degree. Hmm? Ask your neighbor, have you seen what's in your heart? Let me just say this. Some of us got blind spots. And I can teach in a Bible study you to do something and you disobey. And God says, okay, he hasn't seen through the word. So maybe the trial, the spotlight of the trial will show him what's there. Huh? And if you haven't learned from that experience, God says, no problem, it's year one. Let's go another 39. Until you learn the process. I can't, I don't have 39 more years. Right? I had a prophecy from Sam that I'm going to live a long time. I'm going to hit my 130, don't play. Huh? I want to live until 130. I think I'm on par for the course. Amen. But listen carefully. I don't want to defer to 2020, what I could get in December 2014. I don't want to say, God, check if Randolph's tempted. God is looking, is the temptation coming to Randolph? Let's see how my son works this one. If I can demonstrate to God that I've overcome in the area where previously I would fall, God smiles and says, oh, my son is maturing. He is now ready to go to the next level. Ordinarily, 
something that you would not have forgiven in a previous season. Somebody did something grave to you. Let's say something wicked. And you harbored unforgiveness and bitterness. Now a worse error. No, there's worse and there's worse error. A worse error thing is done to you. And in the moment it's done, you say, forgive. You know what God says? Wow, he's really maturing. Let me just say this. I said this. I was, I was asked to give uh, an offering motivation at um, Covenant's Jubilee Conference last week. And I gave a prophetic word to the co- I said this to them. God, inheritance only comes to the mature. I've taught you that not so. The child, so long he's a, what does it say? The heir, so long as he's a child, does not differ from a slave, but has need of guardians and teachers until the time what? The time set by the father. That time set by your father is when the son comes into maturity. Right? And I want to, I want to encourage you with this. Listen carefully. Your inheritance will never be stewarded by you until you prove how mature you are. So, don't relinquish principle in the heat of your trial. Don't say, we are in the fix here. It could be financial, it could be relational, it could be marital, it could be emotional, it could be whatever. It could be at your workplace. Um, it could be something personal. You're dealing with some personal temptation where you're prone to fall all the time. God says, I want to see how he deals. Unless he masters this, he's not going to handle inheritance. You know, yesterday I was feeling a bit down after one counting session. Really down. And then I said, I'm phoning my father. I phoned Tamo. And we had a long conversation. We didn't talk specifically about the issue. In my mind, I said, I need grace here. I just need to hear the sound of, of his voice. And we spoke about other issues that he was busy attending. You know what? I put the phone down. I felt like I could run the Comrades Marathon. Literally, I felt so, wow. No, where's, where's the starts? Let me go run. You know? I felt like energized in the, in the spirit. But listen carefully. The situation I was dealing with a year ago, or even two years ago, I would not have the response that I had yesterday. Right? And I felt this measure of elevation, this measure of, of growth. And let me just say this to you, brethren. God will bless you. How long? Are you going to push back the blessing? How much more patient is God going to deal with you? How long? You can shorten the process. Here is where I really want to get to. Listen carefully. Verse 3. He humbled you and he let you be hungry. Who let you be hungry? God. He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. That ye might understand, that you might understand, that man does not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by everything or every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you can read the entire chapter. Um, this verse was quoted at the school. And when it was quoted, I was like, lights came on to me. I always know this verse. You know, man should not live by bread alone, but by? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth. Take the time this afternoon and read the rest of Deuteronomy 8. It speaks about being diligent in your obedience to what you hear and the commandments, right? God is saying, let me, let me summarize Israel's journey from God's commentary on them. He says, listen, I took you out 
and I led you. I humbled you. In fact, I even made you go hungry just to prove to you I can provide to you. For that was with this ultimate intent that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God is saying for 40 years, everyone say 40 years. The word 40 years is isolated years. God is literally saying, I will take as long as I have to take with you until you learn this principle that you will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of my mouth. God is literally saying, I will take as long as I have to. Let me use you. Yeah, Lillian. Lillian, I will take as long with you as I have to. And I'm not your attempts to your disobedience. I'm just not a prophet. I'm using an example. Don't be discouraged after this meeting. Okay. God is saying, I'm not your attempts, your disobedient acts, your carnal attitudes to people, uh, your unregulated um, commentary, the way you use your mouth on certain things. Your disobedience about, in terms of clear principles that you know to be true, but you are not doing it. God says, no problem. No problem to me. Problem to you. I live in timelessness. You're getting old on the earth. You don't have time on your hand. The quicker you can bring your place to live in this economy. Everyone say economy. What is your economy? Your economy is God's word. Right? God is saying to Israel, Israel, the quicker you can learn this principle, man will not live by bread alone, but man lives by my word. In other words, if you can bring your lifestyle to obedience to the word more quickly, God is saying you will, re- you will access your inheritance more, more faster, more quickly. So every trial designed to test you is to make you to see what's in your heart so once you see what's in there, and you note it is far removed from what God expects, you ought to realign your life to a lifestyle of obedience immediately, so that the trial is short-lived. The trial will always be prolonged until you learn the principle, live by my word, live by my word, live by my word. God is saying this to Israel Until you learn the principle, if I speak, obey, no matter what you're experiencing, live, live, live by my word, nothing's going to happen. Think about it. God's saying to Israel, I subjected you for 40 years. Until you learn one principle, your existence on the earth has got to be by total obedience to my word and not by your ability to survive. Because even in the desert, I will feed you. If you are willing, if you can simply align yourself obediently to my word and not renege on any principle and go back, God says, then you have proven yourself to be my son. Now it's to that caliber of person, God says, I come to you with keys. <laughs> I open and no man closes for you. I close and no man will, uh, will, will, will open. And I want to encourage you, we are at the threshold of that. Tell your neighbor, learn your lessons quickly. Learn your lessons quickly. If you don't master peace, you will always have tensions in relationships. I made about five calls last night because I had no wife to speak to. One was to her. 
but a four was to people no longer with us and to wish them well. And still, I do it regularly, intermittently, recurrently. I do it to keep my heart pure, to keep my heart clean, to make sure in my own heart there's no ill feelings towards anybody. But I deliberately pronounce blessing, increase. What am I doing? I'm keeping my relationships pure. Right? Keeping my relationships pure. Amen? No matter what our financial needs are, we will always tithe and give first fruit. They are unalterable principles. How do I, why do I do that? I must learn the principle. I live by the word. God said it. I do it. I don't even question it. Until I learn the principle, God says, well, the journey in the wilderness will simply be protracted until you live by the, by the, by the principle. If you don't forgive a brother quickly, God says you lock up your own forgiveness. You know that. Forgive so that you can be forgiven. Right? Forgive so that you can be forgiven. If you have bitterness in your heart, guess what? You know what the gall, gall and wormwood, bitter? Right? Guess what? I taught you this last week. If you are bitter, God says you come short of grace. Bitterness is a grace killer. Um, tell your neighbor, don't worry, be happy. Contentment. Paul says, and Paul said this, Paul said, I, have, I, I was there abounding and I know how to be abased. Two extremes. He says, I know how to flourish and how to be without. I know how to be clothed and how to be naked. But he said this, I have learned. And you're learning? Tell you, you will learn. Huh? He says, I've learned. Oh, you, learn, you learn by experience. He says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You can come to Paul when he's abased or abounding, when he's naked or he's well clothed, when he's on the mountain of victory or in the valley of defeat, you will come and you'll see a content, happy man. No bitterness, no anger, nothing. You know? Do you know what Naomi's root, the root meaning of Naomi means? Naomi means good, pleasant, agreeable, etc. You know that, right? But the root meaning of, of Naomi is grace. She's a spiritual father to who? To Ruth, a daughter-in-law, right? Spiritual son, spiritual father, spiritual son. But life circumstances. I go with my husband I love dearly. He goes and he dies on me. My only two sons, they both die. Let me tell you, we often read that. Put yourself in the lady's shoes. Let me use Audrey as an example. Okay, you haven't got two sons, you've got two daughters. Let's say they both die tomorrow. And Quentin dies. Now you're left alone. Put yourself in um, Naomi's shoes. She was a real woman, had real emotions, that lived on the earth. Her entire world implodes. Everything comes to, and that is why. She, what did she say? What did she say? Here's the principle. She says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. So she comes back to Jerusalem. And all the city is aware that she's returned. What does she say to the people? Don't call me Naomi. Call me what? Mara. What does Mara mean? Bitter. Don't call me good, pleasant, agreeable, full of grace. Call me bitter, wormwood, gall. If you, you know, if you had seen, if you had seen, how, how, how would you dramatize this if you were a movie maker? How do you dramatize a bitter person coming back to Jerusalem? 
uh, angry at everybody, uh, you know, unhappy, discontent. But uh, even picture a slow walk. And all the people say, oh, Naomi, Naomi, come back to Bethlehem. Or oh, was it Bethlehem? Bethlehem or Judah? Naomi, come back to Bethlehem. My nature has changed, he said. Don't call me. My nature is no more full of grace, good, pleasant. My nature is now this forlorn, sad, bitter person. But you know what bitterness does to grace? Bitterness frustrates grace. You know that, right? right? Fortunately, Ruth saw something <laughs> in a bitter woman. She saw that this lady, I will never leave you because in you is a potential that I see there. And I know that the grace content in you is going to override your bitterness one day and I'm going to tap into that grace. Let me just say this. You can't afford to be bitter. Why? You are blocking up grace that could benefit a whole lot of people in your world. What are you imparting? I want to encourage you. Be the happiest person. You must be, who would like to hang around with a bitter person? You want to go out to, for hangouts or for, to movies and you say, I'm going to find the bitterest person I know to accompany me. Who does that? Nobody. What do you do? I want the liveliest, fun-going, fun person to accompany me to enjoy myself. Not so? Let me just say this to you. Smile through your trial. Smile through your test. Learn the lessons well. Learn the lessons quickly. You'll come to inheritance more swiftly. If I were you, I'd do an audit, serious forensic audit on your life and say, Lord, we've come through much in 2014. There's only two months left for 2014. 2015 is around the corner. I want 2015 to be a bumper year for, for me and my family. It's really going to be good. I want to make sure I will put every principle in place in my life because so long as I don't learn this principle, I need to live by your command. I need to live by your word. God says, I will always defer the process. It is sad for me to say this, what I'm about to say. For some people that will not learn, we'll be sitting at the same point in 1st of November 2015 and experiencing the same trial, the same degree, because we haven't learned the lesson attended with the trial from the previous year. So tell you never learn quickly. Learn quickly and go on. I want all of you to say this as you leave. Say, Lord, come hell or high water. I will prioritize your word above my personal circumstance. If you said it, I'm going to demonstrate to you my obedience. If I have to forgive, I will forgive. If, if I have to watch what I view, I will watch what I view. If I have to administer grace, I will administer grace. Understanding, if I have to watch what I say, even when I am tempted. And do you know, let me tell you, some of you are going to be tempted. Your body is going to visit you. Did you know? Have you heard? That's going to be a test. You either speak redemptively, but you don't add your two cent piece or your marbles. Right? You say no. I recognize the bait. And let me just say this. I was tested in this yesterday. Person presented a scenario to me. And someone confided in me something. It was, and the person was not even tempting me. The person was genuinely concerned about a situation. The person was also highly credible. Someone I can freely share anything with and I know it will never go beyond them. But guess what? I restrained myself. I said, no. Because my father instructed me not to say a word to anybody. I said, no. And then I changed the course of the situation. 
Guess what? In my immature days, yeah, hey, it's happening, bro. Huh? No. Guess what? I felt literally yesterday, I felt the father smile. Hey, see how my son is maturing. See how he's managing his emotions. He's managing his utterance. He's regulating his internal system. You can't manage anything external until you learn to manage your own life. Manage your words. Manage your thoughts. Take charge of your life. And experience the blessing of the Lord. Amen? Repeat after me. Man will not live by bread. But by every word. That proceeds out of the mouth of God. I've taken a bold decision. I said to the Lord, I will always obey you, even if it's difficult to do. And even if I have to suffer personal loss. But let it be said, he went through it, but he kept the word. He had little, but he kept the word. He kept, he's not denied the name. He kept the word of my perseverance. And now he has given to him an open door. You still want the open door? You see this message previously taught in charismatic seasons was a message. Ooh, hallelujah. Open door, open door. We'll have, by this time, we'll have songs going, uh, declarations, open door. And you know what? We went away from those meetings and no door opened. No, nothing happened. Not because God was untrue to his word. It was because people were not taught that God is a God of principle and order. Amen? Let's pray. Lift your hands. Father, we commit. I want us to make a vow this morning. You know, I, I love all of you equally. And I only want the best for you. That's why I speak to you in this way. If I wasn't concerned, I would let you go on your own merry way and meet you in 40 years and still find you in the wilderness. No. I want to form Christ in you. That's my apostolic cry. That Christ might be formed in every one of you. And I decree. Come on, lift up your hand. I'm going to prophesy. I decree over you that your journey will not be as long as it could have been if you were not informed. Now that you know... I, I impart the grace to obey God. You will be obedient. You will be willing in the day of the power of the Lord. This world is not far that you will say, who will go up into the heavens to reach it? But the world is near you, even on your mouth, declares the Lord. This world is not difficult that you say, we cannot obey it. This world is easily obeyed. I impart the grace to obey I pray that you will be obedient when you are tempted to transgress the commandment of the Lord. That you will hold to your guns. You will hold to your commitment. And you will demonstrate to your father that indeed you are his son. No matter how difficult it might be. No matter how intense the pain might be. Attendant with your trial. I declare over you, you will be strong. And you will come out more than a conqueror. You will come out more than an overcomer. To him who overcomes... The Lord says, I will give him a place in the temple of my God. See to it that you don't lose your crown, saints. See him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the house of my God. God wants to crown you with rulership. God wants to make you a pillar in his, in his purposes and in the scheme of his, of, of his will all over the earth. You'll become strong. I decree it. I decree that your wilderness days are over. If you accept it, I decree it. If you receive it, it's going to happen. Your wilderness, your financial wilderness will come to a swift end if you align your life financially. Your relational wilderness will come to a swift end if you align yourself relationally. Your marriage will be blessed beyond measure and favor will be in your house if you, marry, if you align your marriage to the principles of the ways 
of the Lord. I decree an open door, Father, over us. I lift up my voice and I trust you. I decree an open door that you sovereignly will open for us. For many in this house, in the name of Jesus, amen and amen.